13, Nehemiah chapter number 13. We'll get to the Word of God here in just a moment. And Mimi, did you bring someone with you to church today? Hi, Don. Have we met before? Okay, I thought so. You looked familiar, but it, it's good to have you. That's Yeah, okay, that's right. So we're glad to have you back today. Thanks for being here with us today in our service. And Nehemiah chapter number 13. Today we finish the book of Nehemiah. And uh, let's be in prayer for those around us. And really, you look around our state. I don't understand California. I've never have understood California when it comes to certain things. Now, I'm a California boy. I grew, I was born here, raised here. I, I love California. I hate the politics of California. And there's a lot of other things we can get into that I'm not going to get into today. But it's amazing to me how many churches are being threatened all over. And especially, you know, the big one is L.A. County. L.A. County is really going hard after churches. Santa Clara County, those of you where Johnny goes to school, they got a letter on their church door yesterday to cease operation. They did five, the county of Santa Clara did five grievances against the church. One of them was that they sing. It's against the law to sing, and you're singing in church. And uh, it's, I don't under, if we have a constitution, we have the First Amendment, they need to stop. I don't get it. You look around, think about this, and there are those who say, well, just stay closed till they say you can open back up. So then we're going to stay closed till March or April of next year, because flu season's going to be here in a couple months, and they're going to keep everything closed through then, and it's just going to keep going on and going on. Enough's enough. It is. And so we need to pray for those churches that are standing up, and praise God we're small enough they don't come bug us. That's a good thing. And also, I'm thankful for the county we live in. I say that today, and they could put a note on our door tomorrow, but our county hasn't stepped in and done anything, and our city is not about to do anything. I've been told that over and over again. They said, worst thing that's going to happen from the city is you get a letter from us because someone complains, but we're not going to shut a church down. The sheriff for the county of San Bernardino said he's not going to bother churches. They're not going to, and that's how it should be. So be thankful for where you live, but also this should be a good reminder of voting in a few months. Yeah, and uh, just remember what's going on around us. And they've done a, haven't they done a great job handling this virus? No, they haven't. They like to blame, a lot of people love to blame the president, but I think a lot of all the local, it's amazing. They don't want him making all the local choices, but they blame him for all the local choices. And, you know, we look around, so California has a ton of fires going on right now, Correct. And uh, a lot of them are in Northern California. Most of them were caused by lightning strikes. Our governor makes the claim that it's global warming. That's the issue. And serious climate change has to happen and all that. Could it be that God's judgment is coming? It's called lightning from the sky, right? I think we just need to go back to God, and I think our leaders need to leave churches alone in the state. Exactly. You look, it's just crazy, and I could go on for hours about this. So many people are hurting, and so many people need the Lord right now. This is the time to be in church. And everyone has the right to choose for themselves. If you don't want to come to church because you're scared, stay home. But I'll tell you this, you have more chance of dying coming to church this morning in your car 
being on the road than of dying of the virus. That's a scientific fact. There's a risk in every little thing you do. You risked getting out of bed this morning. You could have fallen when you got up. You never know. Or a few days ago, you could have, or whatever. And um, so we just need to trust the Lord. We need to live for him and do our very best till he comes. And I think, I think we're getting closer. Every day we're getting closer. And let's be faithful to the end. You know, you would expect as you get to the close of the book of Nehemiah, you'd expect it to be like a good Hallmark movie and have just a great ending, right? You just think, man, Nehemiah goes back and they rebuild the wall and then they dedicate themselves to God. They praise, ended last Sunday night with where the people all around hear them praising God. And we think, wow, chapter 13 is going to be the big climactic end and it's going to be just a great picture of everything. Perfect ending, great ending, and that's not what you get with the book of Nehemiah. That's what happens with sinful people. That's what happens with all of us. We don't always follow through on what we say we're going to do, correct? If you remember a few weeks ago, and we were in chapter number 10, the children of Israel, remember there were a bunch of names. They're the ones who signed that covenant to do what God called them to do. And they remember there was four things they promised to do. Well, we get to chapter number 13, and we see that the people didn't do what they told God they would do. Now, it's interesting to note, and, you know, you might say they had grown backslidden. They were backsliders. The dictionary definition for backslide means this, to relapse into bad habits, sinful behavior, or undesirable activities. And that's where we get to today as we jump into the final chapter of the book of Nehemiah. Before we jump into chapter 13, I want to give you a little bit of background, and then we'll dive in, and then I'm going to give you 10 closing thoughts on the book, and then we'll be done this morning. But Nehemiah, at the end of chapter number 12, he went back to Persia. Chapter 1, we know that he had um, left Persia. Remember, he was in the Persian White House, you could say, and he sensed God's leading, and God allowed the king to let him go to Jerusalem, help build the wall, and for 12 years, he was the appointed governor over Jerusalem. When that time expired, he went back to Persia for a while. And we do not know how long he was there, but he was basically probably a senior advisor to the king of Persia. And we don't know how long he stayed, but probably several years he stayed. So he finally retires from his job in the palace. He returns to Jerusalem. to and Probably he wanted to enjoy his retirement years and eventually be buried in the city of Jerusalem with his fathers. And chapter 13 here describes to us what Nehemiah found or discovered when he returned to Jerusalem. We look at chapter number 12 and look at verse number 43. It says, Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar off. Now that's a far cry from where this all started. You remember one of Nehemiah's friends had come back and he asked him, How is Jerusalem? They're greatly afflicted. They're in great distress. The walls are down. And Nehemiah, God leads, God works in a great way. And through opposition, through all the things that happened, the wall gets rebuilt. And what a great day that was. The walls rebuilt. They dedicate the wall. The, the, and it's a far cry from what it used to be. 
The joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Beginning of the book, they're desperate. They're in bad shape. But things had changed. And in just a few short years, they go from the joy being heard afar off to falling right back into their sin, to going back against the promises that they had made. I want to take a few minutes this morning, and it's very interesting. Chapter 10 and chapter 13 fit very well together. Chapter 10 is where you have the covenant made with God by the people. And in chapter 13, that same, those same covenants were broken by the people. And for a little bit of time, I want to look at that, and then we'll dive a little deeper in. Father, bless the time that we have this morning in your word. We love you. We need you. I pray you just bless the time that we have. Meet with us this morning. Do a work that only you can do. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Chapter 13, verse number 1. On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever, because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass when they heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. And after this, Elisha the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. Now do you remember anything about Tobiah? Samballat, Tobiah, they were trying to stop the work of God. They were against the things of God. Now get this, Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem. And do you read that verse that we just read? He was allied, the priest was, Eli, was allied with Tobiah, the enemy of Israel. And he prepared for him a great chamber. Tobiah was living in the temple. The man who was against the things of God. Amazing what has taken place. Where aforetime they laid the meat offering and the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes of the corn and the new wine and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was I not at Jerusalem, for in the two and twenty... 30th year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Elisha did for Tobiah, preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore, therefore I cast him forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded that they cleanse the chamber, and thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, for the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled every one to his field. Then I contended, then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. 
Then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil unto the treasuries. And I made treasures, treasures over the treasuries. We go down to verse number 14. Remember me, O my God, concerning this. And wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses and, as, and also wine, grapes, and figs and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in that day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought, which brought fish and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profane feigning the Sabbath. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be open till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants said I in the gates that there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said unto them, why lodge ye about the wall? If ye do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves, that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to thy greatness of thy mercy." In those days also I saw the Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and Ammon and Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them, and cursed them, and smote certain of them, and plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was son-in-law, look at, to who? Samballot, the Hornite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember me, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, every one in his business, and for the wood offering at times appointed, and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Not the way I would write the final chapter of a book. 
so much promise, so much good happening. But that's one of the things I love about the Bible. The Bible just tells it like it was or like it is. It doesn't hold it back. doesn't make it biased one way or another. The Bible just tells the truth and lays it out there. We look here this morning, and remember there are four promises that Israel made to God, four covenants that they made. We talked about those a few weeks ago. And we saw in chapter number, go back to chapter number 10 with me. Look at verse number 29. Chapter 10, verse 29. We're going to be flipping back and forth between the, both of these chapters. It says, um, they clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in the law of God, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes. We see that they made a promise that they were going to follow God's word. They were going to stick to God's word, follow it, obey it, and do what it said. But we saw in chapter 13 and verse number 1, it must have been a little while. And on that day, they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Why was that the way it was supposed to be? Because of what took place. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, book of Numbers back there, we saw it. And you, I'll give you Deuteronomy 23, verse 3 through 5. You can read those verses later on. But you see, they didn't meet the children of Israel with bread and water, but they hired Balaam to set a curse. And God wouldn't let him curse his people. But they were supposed to not mix with these people. And we see that they saw the scriptures, and they hadn't followed it completely, had they, in this time that Nehemiah had been gone. One of the things that I love is the fact that when they read it, this is to the people's benefit, verse 3, that it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitudes. At least they obeyed, right? They read it, they obeyed it then. But may I just give you a little plug right here. Maybe they should have stayed continuing in the word of God and they wouldn't have gotten away from him. God, we're going to follow your law we're going to do it your way. We're going to obey and do things your way. A few years later, oh, it said we're not supposed to do that, and we've been doing that. Their promise was broken. Is there something that God's told you to do in his word that you've put off? Is there a decision that you're supposed to make? Maybe in your daily Bible reading? Maybe in listening to church or being here in the service? Is there something that you just haven't done? Let's follow God and do what's right. We see the second promise that they broke was the promise of separation. In chapter number 10, we go back there, and we see, look at verse number 30. And it says, and that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. They said, hey, we're going to follow the Lord. We're going to stick to his book. But we're also going to separate ourselves from the people of the land. Not because Israel was so much better, so that they wouldn't do the things that they got in trouble for before. You see, the problem, what was Solomon's problem? What was the people's problem? They would intermarry, they would do these things, and they weren't strong enough to stand for the Lord. And they weren't doing the same things that those people would do. And we see that they made that promise to God, 
But then we look here in chapter number 13 here and we see what happens. We see, first of all, there's two things that they didn't separate from. The first thing is we see that Tobiah is living in the temple. Think about that one for a minute. He's the enemy of God. He wanted nothing to do with that wall being built. He put opposition, opposition, opposition. He didn't want the wall built. Nehemiah's gone for a little bit of time. And amazing, this guy is living in the temple. How appalling to read this and see it. Nehemiah was horrified by it. Then Elisha, the high priest, had a guest chamber for Tobiah in the temple. This room was a small warehouse size. Isn't it amazing? The enemy of God has set up residence in the temple of God. And the people allowed it to happen. The priest, Elisha, had been entrusted with privilege, responsibility. And yet we look down at verse number 7. It came to pass, and I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Elisha did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the court of the house of God. Nehemiah called it evil, what the priest had done. We look at what he does, look at verse number 8, and it grieved me sore, therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. I love it. I can just picture Nehemiah coming in and going into the room. Oh, you're, you're, this is your chair? Get it out of God's house. Your TV's set up over here. You can take that and go. And he clears the room out himself. This is God's house. This is not the place for the enemy of God. It's God's place. And yet we see this take place, and we see in verse number 9, Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers, and thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and with frankincense. What we see is Nehemiah, he gets Tobiah out of there, and he cleanses the temple. Not only did they fail in separating from the people of the land, but also they failed in their promise by marrying those they shouldn't have married. We keep on reading and we see, look at, well, we read verse 30 of chapter number 10, but look down at verse 23 through 28 here of chapter number 13. And those days also I saw Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. A few years before, the people said, we're not going to have our daughters marry their sons, or vice versa. And now they're doing the exact thing that they promised God they wouldn't do. Man, they didn't follow God's word. They didn't, as we look, they let Tobiah into God's house and live there. They married those they had no business marrying. They started speaking their language. Now, I'm not going to park here long, and I'm just going to give you a little thought, and I'm just going to leave it, okay? You want to help destroy a nation? Lose the language of the nation. Now, don't get mad at me, okay? Hold on for a minute. One of the things that we know about Alexander the Great, he conquered the known world. One of the things that he did 
every city that he conquered, he trained them in the language, the Greek language. You want to help destroy a nation and what we see for Israel? When they couldn't speak their own language, there were some problems. Just a little plug, don't get mad at the messenger this morning. When you make phone calls in California and the first option is not English, we are destroying our language before our very eyes. And I know, I know some people might not like to hear that, but, that, but it's true, okay? And then our kids today, you look at how, even in schools, how bad and I'm trying to articulate my words right so I use proper English at this moment. I don't always use proper English, but I try. I try. That's why I got Ryan and Caroline in the room a lot of times. They're probably, no, he didn't use that sentence right. He didn't use that sentence right. But our kids need to learn to speak English. They need to learn how to, what a verb, what an adjective, what an adverb is. You say, Pastor, that's a little old school. Well, we see here that one of the problems was they were losing their language. You lose your language. And that's what people say. Well, they look at the King James Bible. We can't understand it. You know what the big issue is? We've dumbed down our English language. That's what's happened. We've dumbed it down. That's what's taken place. Don't get mad at me this morning. I, I love, I love, and I'm thankful for our country and all the people that are part of our country that are here legally. Put that in kind of, man, I got to stop. That's not supposed to be there. But you come here, you should learn the language of the land. And I'll leave that there, and you can talk to God if you want to any more on that area. If you go back with me, go back to chapter number four of Nehemiah. We got to get off to this subject quickly before I keep going. Nehemiah chapter number four. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like your attitude either. So you go ahead and be part of the problem. I, I tend to love our country still. And I still believe that we can get back to God. I don't know if you listened to the Democratic National Convention the other day. I spent five minutes on it and had to turn it off. They make it sound like everything needs to be started all over because America's so bad. There are a lot of things America needs help in, but I don't think we need to change everything in our country. We've got it all backwards, and we, anyways, we'll stop there. I told you I was going to stop. Nehemiah 4, verse number 7. But it came to pass that when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. But we go back to where we are, the enemy of yesterday. Verse 23 tells us, In those days also saw I Jews that had married the wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and Moab. The very enemies are the exact ones they were marrying. If the enemy can't win from the outside, he's going to come within. 
We see it right before our eyes in this passage of Scripture. Do you know what's going to destroy America today? It's not Russia. It's not Iran. It's us. Let that sink in for a little bit. Wow. Nehemiah was ticked. He does some, he, he was beyond ticked. We look at verse 25, and I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them. He, he got going and plucked off their hair. Man, he, he got with it. He was so upset. And you say, was it wrong that he did this? The Bible doesn't tell us quite right here if that was wrong or not, but he was ticked. Pulls their hair, gets after them, curses them, does all of these things. And you might look and say, that's kind of violent, inappropriate behavior for a man of God. But may I just tell you, he was intense on this thing. Because what Israel was doing was they were doing the same things they had done before. And that's they were trying to do better. They were trying to follow God. And that's what they said they were going to do, right? And in chapter 13, they're going backwards on it. They're doing the things, the things that got them into trouble in the first place are the same things they're doing all over again. He was real passionate about it. You know, Ezra did something similar, except he didn't quite go to the lengths that Nehemiah did. The very sin that led to the Babylonian captivity was exactly what the people were going back to. The third promise that they broke was, remember how in chapter 10, they said that they were going to take care of the house of God? They said that. In chapters 10, they said, we will not neglect the house of our God. But look at what chapter 13, verse 10 tells us. And I perceive that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled everyone to his field. They had to go out and work in the field. The people were not supplying like they promised they would and take care of the house of God. We see that Nehemiah in verse number 11 says, Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? A few years before, we will not neglect the house of God. A few years later, they were neglecting the very thing they promised not to do. Nehemiah set some administrative systems up to ensure that the tithe would once again roll into the temple. But let me just give you a little thought. When God's people start to go spiritually flat, one of the first places it shows up is in our giving. We see that right here in this passage of Scripture as well. God, we're going to stick to your book. We're going to obey you and do what it says. They didn't do it. God, we're not going to mix Mary. We're going to separate ourselves. They let the enemy of God live in the temple. Then they marry the enemy. We see thirdly that they said they wouldn't neglect the house of God. And what do they do? They neglect the house of God. And then we look at chapter number 10. Again, the fourth promise, verse 31 says, and if the people of the land bring ware and habituals on the Sabbath day to sell, 
that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year and act exaction of every debit. They said, hey, we're not going to, we're going to follow the Sabbath. We're going to do what you've called us to do, God. But we see in verse 16 of chapter number 13, we see the fact that there dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware and sold on the Sabbath day. So we see once again, they didn't keep the Sabbath. They allowed business on the Sabbath day. They violated the Sabbath day. And what we see throughout chapter 13 is the fact that God's people said they would do one thing in chapter number 10, and they did the exact opposite in chapter 13, only a few years later. Didn't we read how when you make a vow to God, you should make sure that you Give to God what you say you're going to do. Don't be a fool and say something and not do it. God takes vows very seriously. Isn't that what it says there in Ecclesiastes? May I remind you this morning, we do the same thing over and over again to God. Say, God, I'm going to do this. And then we don't. God, I'm going to behave this way or do this or that. And then we don't. It's a natural tendency for a Christian to backslide. Natural. But it doesn't have to be that way. What a sad ending to the story. The fact that God punished his people for 70 years in Babylon sends Nehemiah back. The wall is rebuilt. God's hand is in it all. The Lord is praised. The city is rejoicing. And in a few short years, they forgot every lesson that they learned. It's kind of a sad end of chapter. I'm going to give you real quick this morning ten quick thoughts from the entire book. And then I want to give you one final thought on Nehemiah himself and bring a little bit of encouragement here as we close. Sports Center would have their top ten. This is Pastor's top ten lessons. In the book of Nehemiah, number one, it's never too late to do what's right. It's never too late to do what's right. Even though God's people messed up pretty bad over and over again, even chapter 13, we see the first verse, oh, we're not supposed to be mixing with those people, are we? It's never too late to do what's right. Start doing what's right today. God's people messed up pretty bad, but let me just remind you today, just start doing what's right. You might say, Pastor, I've gone too long. No, the people of Israel went a long time too. It's never too late to do what's right. It really doesn't matter what you've done. Start today walking with God and get things right. Number two, don't play around with sin. Don't play around with sin. In all honesty, the people needed Nehemiah to stay the whole time. They didn't need him to leave. They needed his leadership. But I think he had to go back. The king let him go. He needed to go back for a while. But I love how when Nehemiah comes, he doesn't play with the sin. He gets Tobiah out of the temple. 
He fixes things right then. The Levites aren't getting the tithe like they're supposed to. Well, we're going to fix this problem right now. Don't play with sin. Most of us underestimate our sinfulness and overestimate our goodness. Don't do it. Friends, church members this morning, don't play with sin. Romans 12, 9 tells us, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Abhor that which is evil. That's what Nehemiah did. Maybe you don't like the way he did it, but at least he did what was right. Don't play around with sin number three. Remember who God is. It's a lesson all throughout the book. He is great. He's awesome. He was there for the people. He is always good. And man, he helped the people get this wall done in a short amount of time. And never forget who God is. So some lessons from the book of Nehemiah. Never too late to do what's right. Don't play around with sin. Remember who God is. Number four, cultivate a lifestyle of praise and prayer. God desires each of us, and we've read through here the past few weeks, and as we've studied through here, each of us to worship him and to reverence him with joy individually and corporately. We want to talk about a lifestyle of prayer. One of the things you can see all throughout the book of Nehemiah, even in chapter 13 here, he just prays all the time to God. Hey, God, remember me. He just prays. What a great lesson for the child of God to learn on prayer from Nehemiah. Cultivate a lifestyle of praise and prayer. Next, number five, move out of your comfort zone. Many of us are way too comfortable in the way that we live. We tend to default to what's predictable and easy. I think Nehemiah's life would have been a lot easier just to stay in the palace and never leave. But when God has something for you to do, you've got to be willing to move out of your comfort zone and follow God and give him everything you got. Number six, don't let difficulties derail you. Difficulties will come. And when hard times come, and they will, it's not if, but when, don't bail on God. Don't bail on God. When the difficult times come, don't bail on God. Get close to God during those times. God allows tough times in our lives for a purpose, for a reason. You and I won't understand it always, but he does use the difficulty to get yourself closer to God and not further away. Number seven, seek to resolve relational ruptures. The more time you spend with people, you are bound to have conflict and disagreement. We see that here in the book of Nehemiah as they were building the wall. Remember the strife that went among the people? As we read back in chapter number six, Each of us will hurt one another at times. Others will sin against us, whatever the case may be. Don't allow the conflict to continue. Go face to face, get it resolved, and move forward. Number eight, 
Say yes to God's priorities and no to the devil's distractions. God wants us to live purposeful lives. Focus, church, on what matters and on the priorities that Christ has for us. And may I just tell you, Satan's goal is to distract you. Don't give in to the distractions of Satan. Say yes to the things of God and no to the devil's distractions. Number nine, believe the promises of God and act upon them. It can be beneficial in our lives to make a promise or a vow to God, but it's way more important to believe the promises of God and act accordingly. You don't have to perform for God. You can claim his promises. And praise God, and praise God we can take him at his word. You know, the 10th lesson from the book, allow God to use you. God takes pleasure in using people who are available to him. You don't have to be a super saint or a spiritual giant. God delights in using ordinary people. And that's what we see God did here in the book of Nehemiah. Now, as we get ready to close here this morning, and I know it's 9.32, and we should be done, but we'll be done here in just a moment. Three things we see from Nehemiah as the book closes. Three prayers to God. Verse number 14, remember me, O my God, concerning this, and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. Verse 22, remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. And verse 31, remember me, O my God, for good. This was the prayers of Nehemiah's life. You know, Nehemiah could have built a memorial for himself. He could have built a statue in Jerusalem. Nehemiah the Great, the one who led the people to build the wall in 52 days. He could have inscribed the side of the wall, led by Nehemiah. He could have, right? But he didn't. What did he do? said, Lord, there's coming a day when my life's going to be over. Just remember me. Remember what I've tried to do. Yeah, the people didn't keep up their end of the bargain. But Lord, I fought a good fight. finished my course. I kept the faith. Lord, remember me. Lord, I'm not concerned about what accolades I get here on earth, but I want you to remember I did my best to serve you. Lord, I did my best to the burdens and the calling you had on my life to follow through and do what you called me to do. And I'm sure of it, that when Nehemiah breathed his last breath here on earth, he got a well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
not everyone. Hey, today there might be family You might lead people, have followers under you. And you try your best to train them and teach them and do all these things. And there might be fellow Christians and you see them fall aside. And you do what's right. Just because someone else doesn't follow through doesn't mean you can't. And just because those that you lead don't always do what they're supposed to do doesn't give you the excuse to do what's wrong. Nehemiah prays, Lord, just remember what I've done. Remember it for them. Nehemiah's goal was to please God. May that be all of our desire. Man, if there's an Old Testament Christian that I would like to be like, Nehemiah's the guy. He followed God. He did great things for the children of Israel. He prayed and he sought God. And yeah, the book didn't end probably the way he would have loved for the final chapter to be written. But may I just remind you this morning, God sees what you do. Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, Wow, people messed up. So much victory in a book, so much defeat in a book. I see the Christian life all over the book of Nehemiah. There's going to be great moments of victory. There's going to be great moments of defeat. But you get back up, you keep serving God, you keep living for God, you keep doing what he's called you to do. It's all going to be all right. And church, we don't do anything that we do for men to please us. We just want him pleased. That's our desire. Live for him today. In our day, where we see attacks around us for those trying to go to church, remember, we're not here today to defy a government or to do anything like that. We're here to love God. It's the only reason why I'm here. If this book didn't say what it said, I wouldn't be here today. But I'm here because it does say what it says. And I want the Lord to know that this church loves him. That's why we're here. Let's live for him today. The book of Nehemiah, great book on leadership. I mentioned before, if I ever write a book, it'll be on the book of Nehemiah. But maybe I'll do a coloring book or something like that. But that'll be probably about as far as I go. Some of you like that better, a bunch of pictures, right? And uh, But Father, we love you.